Well, Marcus, it's fantastic to have the grumpy strategists uh, back doing their work. Welcome to the first Grumpy Strategist production for Strategic Analysis Australia. We thought maybe start with a simple topic, the Defence Strategic Review five months on. Very simple topic. I'm sure we can knock it over in 15 minutes, though. Let's give it our best shot. So first, there was a lot of hype from the government when the Strategic Review was released, the most profound change, most profound review of defence and defence strategy for, I think, since Federation. What is really new in the Strategic Review? Mm. If, if I was Paul Dibb, who did the white paper back in the 1980s and developed the Defence of Australia strategy, I'd be feeling maybe a little bit slighted because, to me, this looks a lot like a Defence of Australia white paper, but updated for a couple of key developments that have occurred since then. The first of which is that we're now dealing with a potential adversary that's a great power in the form of the People's Republic of China, and we're not worried about potential incursions from a a much smaller and less powerful regional neighbour, which so, so Paul that, was dealing with. So that's the end of the sort of thugs and thongs idea. Yeah, we're, we, are, we are now calling a spade a spade, and, and that's a process that has been you know, gradually occurring over the last decade. And we're saying, well, we actually need to be prepared to deal with a great power adversary. So I think that's new, but... There are elements of that already in the 2020 Defence Strategic Update, for example. Well, when you say we need to deal with a great power, I don't think there's anything in the strategic review that says Australia has to deal with China as a military threat all by ourselves. Uh, so I think, again, this nests very well in the Defence of Australia concept, which, of course, was self-reliance within an alliance framework. So, yes, it's doubling down on plan A, which is to rely heavily on the alliance. So all of the talk of a couple of years ago of, you know, potential plan Bs, not, this is simply, um, I think, a development on in plan A. But the other thing I think that's occurred since, you know, in, in the last decade is we've sort of realised we are now in the age of missiles. You know, the industry standard for being able to project power or kinetic force is is greater than it was certainly back in Paul Dibb's day in the 80s and so we need to adjust our capabilities to take that into account and so a lot of the capabilities that are now on the shopping list are simply really updating the ADF for the new reality of today and that anti-ship missiles with a range of 100 kilometres don't cut it anymore when you're up against an adversary who has systems that can go several hundred or indeed thousands of kilometres. Although again I think you know when you say updated for the technology of today I think the DSR is unfortunately backward looking so these advanced missile systems have been around for about 30 years you know the tomahawks that have been re-announced recently by the government are a 30-year-old missile. It was sure it's been updated through its life. New technologies like artificial intelligence barely get a look in and there's still almost no discernible shift to autonomy and uncrewed systems. We'll probably talk about that a bit later. But I think you're right that 
it's it's defensive Australia updated for a more dangerous world with an aggressive Chinese military and technological change. Mm, so if you look at, well, it doesn't really talk too much about operational concepts and how you would use the ADF, but it very much does seem to be a kind of denial strategy in the archipelago to our north. So trying to impose cost on a major power adversary should it act against Australia as it moves through the archipelago. You know, and really that's fundamentally a defence of Australia kind of construct. So again, broadly speaking, I'd say it's pretty consistent with uh, previous defence strategies. But because of those two changes, technology and the fact that there is an aggressive major power who is already showing a military presence in Australia's near region. I think that is a that's a different focus and it's it means that there should be a clearer priority around investment and timeliness. So, you know, I look at everything that Prime Minister Sokovare is doing with his new best friends in Beijing and I think a, a real palpable shift uh, for Australian strategy and for for structure priorities is that there's now uh, an actual direct threat to Australia through the growing security cooperation between Mr. Sogavari and the Solomon Islands and Beijing. So the 1987 work from Paul Dibb was really in the absence of any direct threat. Here's a sensible way of prioritising spending money on defence. Now there's, a, there's an actual threat. So you've started to talk about money and timeliness. So that gets us to the the fundamental issue of money. And I think that's an area where the Defence Strategic Review and the portfolio budget statements with the nuclear submarine program hovering in the background where they are not completely aligned in my view. You know, that's probably a good way to talk about this because... Normally you'd talk about is the strategy aligned with resources, but because of the impact of the AUKUS submarine program on the whole of defence as, a, as a, um, an operational entity and as a fiscal entity, I think you're right to say you really need to look at the alignment between those three things, the Defence Strategic Review, AUKUS and the budget. And I think you know when I went through the... The budget when it came out in May, uh, like most people, we saw there's no new money, so there's no additional funding to do stuff faster in the next few years or to acquire new capabilities that are going to cost more money. So there does seem to be a uh, pot, a so-called contingency fund of $30 billion in the back end of the, the decade. But that seems to be broadly scoped to pay for the additional cost of the submarines. So there's no new money up front. And so there is a bit of a disconnect between the words in the DSR that sort of uh, project a sense of urgency and the funding available, which is still the same funding for this period that was laid out in the 2016 white paper. You know, so... By the end of the Ford estimates, the next four years, the defence budget will still be basically what was set out a decade ago. And so to me, I think there is a fundamental misalignment there. Well, there absolutely is, because the framework of the strategic review introduces three time periods for 
policy making and implementation. And I think defence people talk about them as three epochs, which is probably good because epochs, you know, sound like big long things that happened a long time ago. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. There's no sense of urgency around mm-hmm. an epoch, is there? E- epoch to me invokes geological time frames. Yeah. Well, I think, hopefully that's not what defence is is talking about. Well, for the first epoch, which is three years uh, in the strategic review, things will move very slowly, like geological time. Because no new money means to do anything new, you've got to have an internal bun fight, an arm wrestle, to take someone else's money. And funnily enough, people that have fought for years to get an item into the budget aren't happy just to stop and hand it over. So I think the first epoch will be very slow moving. Mm. Well, there have been a couple of largish muscle movements in the DSR. So, you know, the first thing to say is we're only looking at the public DSR, you know, which is, I think, a quite an edited and expurgated version. We don't really know what the full DSR says. But in the public DSR, there were a couple of muscle movements about cancelling or, or reducing programs to free up some money. The first of them is, of course, the infantry fighting vehicle program that was cut from 450 vehicles to 129 vehicles, I believe. Mm-hmm. And the government recently announced they had picked a winner, the Korean company Hanwar. And by the way, I think, you know, doing stuff with Korea is strategically a very good idea. Yep. And and so the amount of money that's going into that program has gone from the originally planned amount, which was over $20 million, down to, I think, the, the amount the government said in the announcement was in the order of 5 to $7 million. Isn't, isn't there a little... But here, though, which is when will that money be spent? Correct. Nothing there will not, that will not free up a single dollar in the next few years. And in fact, the cut to that program is all at the back end, isn't it? Because to actually set up the production and get the first vehicles out and do the quality assurance and the testing and then get to um, full scale production, that's where all the startup money is. And all that money is the same, whether you're building 129 or 450. In fact, it may even be more because the government has said that we're going to get those initial 129 vehicles faster than the previous government had planned. So if you want to deliver faster, you have to spend more money up front. So that might, ironically, what looks like a cut could be an extra budget pressure in the early years. Yeah, we have to remember everything is about cash flow. Everything is about cash flow. So, you know, people have said, well, maybe we should cut some hunter-class frigates. Well, then if you're cutting the back end, the last three, say, that won't save you any money probably until the late 2030s. Yes, so this is really about aligning programs with cash flow, isn't it? And to me, the government has said no new money for the next four years. There may be new money after that, but it's probably all for the AUKUS submarines. And defence is helping because the first thing out of the strategic review is a set of baby reviews. And while defence is bringing up these baby reviews, it can't be spending much money on the things the reviews are looking at. Mm, so, So I think, you know, one of the first outputs 
of the DSR is a whole bunch more reviews. And I think you have a, a list there, Michael. So why don't you read out what Defence is now going to be doing for probably the next year or so? Well, I have to thank Assistant Minister Thistlewaite for giving me the last two items on this list because I hadn't noticed those. But let me just... Let this, these are the reviews underway. Um, there are six plus the eight from Minister Thistlewaite, uh, the other two from Minister Thistlewaite. Review and reprioritise the IIP, the Integrated Investment Program, a huge body of work all by itself. Review the surface fleet with US Admiral Hillarides meant to report in 23. Produce a new national defence strategy in 2024 and every second year after that. Produce a new industry policy statement, which is meant to square the circle about minimum viable and you know whether you buy from the big US primes or you produce locally. And number five, review the workforce and produce a new workforce strategy with a new chief of people uh, for the military as part of that. And number six, having taken a decision to stand up this advanced strategic capabilities accelerator, the thing needs to spend the first 18 months reviewing itself about how it's going to operate. And then the two additional ones I heard about last week from Minister Thistlewaite, review defence housing and review the reserves. So reviewification is the first outcome of this profound strategic review. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. This was meant to be, again, another one of those reviews that ends all reviews. And the, the main output has been a bunch more reviews. Now, I think in our next episode, we're going to talk about the uh, surface fleet review. So we, we won't go into that. But if, I, if it, I'm the treasurer, I love this approach to implementation mm, by further reviews. It stops defence spending money. Yeah. I think the IIP, so the Integrated Investment Program Review, not much is actually going to be announced while that is going on. We've had a couple of announcements uh, since the DSR. So uh, there was an announcement about acquiring replacement C-130Js. There was an announcement about the air defence system. But those are all things that have been in the works for a very long time. You know, there's nothing particularly new there. That's so at true. least we can say it's not holding some of those things up. But I think what we're going to see is a lot of potential decisions about acquisitions will be on hold until the IIP is completed. Because when defence goes up to government to seek approval to acquire a new capability, it has to show that it's affordable. And it's very hard to show that it's affordable unless you understand the full investment program. And so my sense is there won't be a lot of capability decisions for a while. And that's putting huge pressure on Australian defence industry. So first of all, there was pretty much a kind of go slow after the election in the lead up mm -hmm. to the DSR. Mm -hmm. And then it was. And there were some oh. hopes for then the DSR would break that logjam, but actually, no, um, that logjam is continuing and, and building up even more. And so I think it's very uncertain times for Australian defence industry at the moment. Well, you know, we're almost out of time on this one, but what the picture I'm seeing emerging while all these reviews are underway is remember that cliche, no one ever gets sacked for buying IBM? Well, no one in the defence sphere gets sacked for buying Lockheed Martin. 
So the only decisions that seem able to be made while the investment program and industry policy and everything else is reviewed are the easy default reach for catalogue stuff from the big primes. And I think the, the Hercules, the C-130J, fall straight into that, as does announcing buying HIMARS rocket systems. So that's, yeah, yeah, that's disturbing that... because it means all the things that the government is saying about onshoring manufacturing and uh, reducing our vulnerability by being able to make things here, that's very unlikely to happen until the big think is finished. I agree. And, you know, the the other thing that came out of the DSR was the, the announcement of this new innovation body, the Advanced Strategic Capabilities Accelerator. Accelerator. Yes, Accelerator. That's the term. And he, well, which was kind of interesting because when you read the DSR, it seems to suggest this shouldn't be the way to go. But anyway, that's the way the government is going. So, okay, we've got a new innovation body, yet we Defence has abolished the old innovation system. And when you look at ASCA's website, there's virtually nothing there about how it's going to work, the sorts of things they're interested in other than sort of a small UAV program that they've put out for a, an RFI. And so, again, if you're Australian industry and you're going, well, you know, one of the ways I've been able to do work previously has been by getting some innovation money. But that system is also kind of has been tossed out and there isn't a new one to replace it. So, again, you know, I would Ooh. agree with you, Michael, that um, things are, aren't looking too bad for the primes, but for small Australian companies, a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, and I suppose the government and the defence organisation's defence is a bit like that chorus of a Gillian Welch song called Miss Ohio. I want to do right, but not right now. <laughs> well, maybe we should leave it there before you break into song. So. Well, Marcus, great to talk with you and great to see you less grumpy than I expected.